you know I tend to be long-winded. And when somebody else takes your first 15 minutes, you've got to really shorten up. So I'll be as brief as I can, hopefully without doing injustice to John 8, which is where we're going this morning. Before we get there, I wanted to give you some important information, though important information you probably couldn't live without, which is uh, DNA test kits. DNA test kits, if you guys have ever thought about this and you just want to make sure, you can go online and you can choose from a variety of companies who for between about $300 and $400, they will verify who your father is. Three to $400. Now, you're laughing, but this is serious business. Why? Well, because Kathy and I were listening to a radio call-in show, talk show the other morning, and the guy got a call from a pastor in Mississippi, and I don't remember exactly why this came up or the way it came up, but the pastor said that 70% of the children born in his neck of the woods in Mississippi were born to unwed mothers. 70%, more than two out of every three children. So you can imagine if you have all these children born and they have, they're born to a family without a father in the home, a lot of times paternity testing comes into play because moms want to get financial support for their little ones from their dad, and they've got to be able to verify who their dad is. By the way, in these tests, they tell you right off the bat, if you want your tests for court purposes, and this is the big deal, then you've got to go through the proper chain. Brad, this is evidence stuff. It's the chain of protocols related to chain of something. Thank you, chain of custody so that a court would say, we recognize that the manner in which we've collected this evidence would hold up to court scrutiny. Um, also, you've got great things like, uh, these are just swab tests, you know, like if you see on the CSI sh- test, you take a swab from the mouth. But you know, what if I have a special sample to submit, like a blood stain, body fluids, or a cigarette butt? Yes, they will get your DNA testing from that as well. wonder why they're getting it from cigarette butts, Teresa. What's with that? What if there's more than one possible father in a paternity dispute? If the alleged fathers are brothers or father and son, then they should each be tested at the same time. Sorry, but this is the world you and I live in. In 99, nationwide, the last uh, year I have national figures from, 33% of all children in the U.S. were born to unwed mothers. I am not knocking unwed mothers. I'm I'm just saying, Who's your father? Who's your daddy? Is a big question in our culture, both for legal and financial reasons and other reasons as well. Who's your daddy? That's the title of today's text out of John 8, my title. You know, if you use a phrase like chip off the old block, you're saying that it's obvious who someone's father is because they look just like them. Or if you say something like, The apple didn't fall far from the tree. What are we saying? Well, it's pretty clear who that child belongs to because if they don't look like them, they act just like them. So anyway, what we've got going on here is this issue of fatherhood. Who is your father? Who's your daddy? The term father in John 8, 37 through 47 is used nine times. It's the key word in this passage. It's what Jesus is talking about. It's what we're talking about briefly this morning. Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? John 8, verses 37 through 47. By the way, Jesus continues this discussion he's had with this Jewish group. If you remember, he's already talked about slavery and freedom, and the Jews are coming back with this retort, hey, we're children of Abraham. And so Jesus is addressing this claim in this passage this morning. He says, I know that you're Abraham's descendants, 
Yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore you also do the things which you heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? Because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. Not to put too fine a point on it. You are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not God. In this whole conversation, the Jews keep going back in their interaction with Jesus saying, we're the children of Abraham. Earlier, when he was talking about freedom, they said, what do you mean enslaved? What do you mean get free? We're children of Abraham. We've never been enslaved. And and here they're bringing up Abraham as their father again to say essentially the same point. We know who we come from. This is interesting. They're claiming this physical alliance with Abraham, but Jesus is saying, you know what? But you don't look like you fell from Abraham's tree. He acknowledges that physically they're descendants of Abraham, but spiritually they're not. And listen to this progression. I'm just going to excerpt out of these verses. Out of verse 38, Jesus says, You also do the things which you heard from your father. Verse 39, If you are Abraham's children, implying that they are not, do the deeds of Abraham. You are doing the deeds of your father. Verse 41, verse 44, you are of your father the devil and you don't want to the do, and excuse me and you want to do the desires of your father. And then verse 47, he who is of God hears the words of God for this reason you don't hear because you are not of God. Jesus says in this case, you are chips off the old block, but not the block you're claiming. You look just like your father, you act just like your father, and your father's the devil. Among other things that are interesting in this passage, of course, John's written so people would believe. John is the evangelistic gospel, and in it Jesus is calling these guys sons of the devil. You know, if if I went out and did this and, and I told people I was practicing wise evangelism, they'd probably tell me I wasn't. But this is what Jesus does. He says, you're of your father, the devil, and that's why you're not receiving my words. When Jesus says, this is, what, this is why I know where your patronage comes from. This is why I know who you are from, who you belong to. He describes them. And it's as if he, he holds up a portrait of the devil, and then he holds up their portrait, their actions, and he says, yes, it's a match. And listen to what he says. <clears throat> He's going to compare the father and the father's children to the devil and the devil's children. So, of the father, God the father, he says this, 
Verse 42, if God were your father, you would love me. The father and the son are characterized by this loving relationship between each other. In fact, later John will say in another place of God, God is love. Jesus says, when you belong to God, you look like God, you display love. That's verse 42. Children of the Father speak the truth. Verse 38, Jesus said, I speak the things which I have seen. Remember, God's the source of all truth. Jesus says, I repeat, I speak what I've seen from my Father. Verse 45, I speak the truth. Verse 46, if I speak the truth, meaning I do speak the truth, why don't you believe me? God's children speak the truth. God's children believe God's word. Verse 39 If you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham, that is, believe. And I I hope even with our short time frame to mention briefly what that refers to. But if you're Abraham's children spiritually, do what Abraham did, he believed. Compare that, Jesus says, with the devil and what his children look like. Seeks to kill the son, doesn't love the son, seeks to kill the son. Verse 37, you seek to kill me. Verse 40, you are seeking to kill me. Verse 44, you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. What does the devil do? He kills people. Murders, robs, kills, destroys. And his children do the same thing. Spiritually, by the way, related to terrorism, they were talking about this. Uh, You know, when you see terrorism in certain kinds of what I would call either political, philosophical, or religious terrorism, you need to think of the devil. This is the work of the devil. This isn't finding demons behind every bush. This is the activity of Satan. It's to destroy. And by the way, do you find this interesting? Do you know that no sooner did the Iron Curtain fall, just think about this, just the last 10 10 to 15 years, what happened? Islam, terrorists through through, uh, the Islamic religion rose. And you know, in mind's eye, what I suspect happened? The demons who were overseeing communism and the oppression and life-stealing efforts under the communist nations, they just moved to the Middle East, which, of course, is where the future, uh, the future of our world history will be decided, of course, in the Middle East. It's demonic. It's, it's straight from Satan, the devil. He's a destroyer and a murderer. So when you see this kind of, whether you think it's politically motivated or it's religiously motivated, It's satanic. It's demonic. That's the source. That's where it comes from. That's what Satan does. He's a murderer. Also, though, verse 44, he speaks lies. He deals in lies. He is a liar and the father of lies. Remember, even if Satan speaks the truth, he's speaking enough truth to get you to accept the lie. That's always, that's his key method of operation. It's not that he won't speak some of what's true. He will quote the Bible. Uh, oftentimes the robes of clerics are just the, the, the robes that Satan's wearing because it's convenient. Satan, the devil, will give enough of the truth simply to get you to believe the lie. He's a liar and the father of lies. I said earlier there's no truth in him. And then last, they cannot hear God's word. By the way, this is interesting. Can Satan read? Yes. Is he intelligent? Yes. Does he know what the book of Revelation says happens to him in the end? Yes. He knows what it says, but you know what? He doesn't believe it. He cannot receive God's truth. It's going to happen. But you know what? In this twisted, 
thinking that's contorted by evil, even though he can see the words, he can read them, and he sort of knows God can't lie, he doesn't believe that his future is in the lake of fire. He still believes he can win. It's because he cannot hear God's word in the sense of take it in, receive it, believe it, act on it. He can't, and his children can't. That's what Jesus says here. Verse 37, my word has no place in you. There's no room for my word to live in your life. There's no place for you to receive the truth. Verse 43, you cannot hear my word. Verse 47, for this reason you do not hear because you are not of God. Jesus looks at the crowd and he says, it's easy to tell who your papa is because you act just like your dad. And if you love the son and if you deal in the truth, If you receive God's word, Jesus says it's easy to see who your dad is. It's God the Father. But when you reject the Son, when you substitute hate for love, when you don't receive God's truth, when it has no home in you, it's clear who your father is, the devil. And by the way, this shouldn't be too insulting. Remember that every one of us is born in a world ruled by the prince of darkness. The scripture says this, still ruled by Satan. And until our course is changed, until we gain a new father, the devil is spiritually our head. We're still connected to him. He's the leader of our kingdom, the kingdom we are born into. If you don't have that second birth, that rebirth, you've only got one daddy, the wrong one. Mentioning briefly uh, Abraham's key trait, I won't go into the text, but in Romans 2 and in Romans 4, Abraham is held up as an example by Paul and Paul's, he's dealing with the same argument. He writes to the Romans, and there are Jews and Gentiles in Rome, and the Jews are saying, hey, we're good to go. And Paul says, well, no, no, you're not. Because it's not enough to be a Jew outwardly. The end of chapter 2, he says, what's more important than being a physical outward Jew is being an inward Jew, that is one who has a claim on God because of a new birth from within, not because of your physical patronage or heritage. It's what's true within you. And then chapter 4, Romans, Paul brings up what was true of Abraham. He was the father of all who believe. Abraham is the father of those who believe. That's how he's held up in Romans. As the example, the father of all who believe. The Jews in Jesus' group are saying we're Abraham's children, therefore we're free and God is our father. Jesus is wrong. Everything you display presents a different heritage. You're not from God the Father, and you don't do what Abraham did because you've not believed in me. We'll look at this later. He he talks about Abraham seeing his day. Abraham believed. That's what he did. Later on, the same author, John, in John's first epistle, brings up this same issue. And I don't know if he's thinking about this text or this interaction Jesus had, but it sure goes right along the same line. 1 John 3, at verse 1, John says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. Look at this love we have from God the Father. He calls us His children, and it's true. It's not just a a nice thing to say. He calls us his children because, in fact and in truth, we really are. He goes down at verse 9 and says, No one who's born of God practices sin because his, God the Father's seed, life, 
abides or lives in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Now, John has already said in his same epistle in chapter 1, he says, if you say you don't sin, you're lying. He's not saying Christians are sinless. Chapter 1, if you say you don't sin, you're lying, and the truth is not in you. And then he says, and when you sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, and if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So when you hear John's words here, don't think sinless, because we sin. Everybody sins. But John says this is the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. One who has had the second birth, John 3, and one who hasn't, one who still lives under their first papa, the devil. John says this is the difference. God's seed, God's life abides in him and he cannot sin. Now, for the Christian, you know, we have kind of an insanity that's going on within us, which we've talked about in Romans 7. I've got this new life within me. It's God's life. It's perfect. And it can't sin, per John's words here. But then the problem with, this, with that is that I've still got this old sinful nature that I'm tied to as long as I'm tied to this corrupting mortal body. So the Christian has this uh, unhappy state they find themselves in where Paul says, Romans 7, what I want to do, I don't. What I don't want to do, I do. I sin is what he's saying. I'm falling short of that mark of freedom and liberty. John says we all sin. But the Christian has this new life. And it's that life that has a home for God's word. It's that life that loves the truth. It's that life that loves the son. It's the life, John says here, that cannot sin. It can't sin. It's perfect. And when you and I die, when we shed this mortal coil that we're living in now, this cracked clay jar Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians, we lose our sinful nature or its influence. Now, we don't have to sin. We don't have to, but we do. But we don't have to because we were in Christ in his death on the cross, in his burial, and in his resurrection. We were with him. And so the power of sin in our life has been annulled, been canceled out. And we talked about freedom last time that when God's word finds a home in our heart, in our mind, when we act on the truth, we get freedom. Remember Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you're free. And where do you get that freedom? If you abide in my word, you're my disciple indeed. You'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. You'll see life the way it really is. When you and I feed on the scriptures, when we live in God's word, we are feeding, as it were, that new nature, that new life that we have from God, his seed, his life in us. When we're just munching on television shows and magazines or gossip or whatever, we're in a sense, we're feeding that old sinful deficient nature and so you tend to see one of one or the other more of. So, you know, uh, the question then becomes this. When you look in the mirror, what do you see? Do you see your heavenly papa's image writ on your face or do you... <laughs> Or is it the Jekyll and Hyde? Or is it the picture of Dorian Gray? You know, what's the image look like? Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians, when he says that we look in a mirror darkly, 
but we see the glory of God. He's really saying that when you and I behold our own spiritual image, we see God's glory. And it's because we're his children. So we have this this, uh, truth that to one degree or another, to more or less degree, when you and I look at the in the mirror, we're supposed to see, and I don't mean physically, we're supposed to see the glory of God. And then it's supposed to be increasing over time from glory to glory. And it's because the Spirit of God, God's life is in us, and it's transforming us from the inside out so that we look more and more like our heavenly Papa, our heavenly Daddy, and less and less like the old. That transformation process is supposed to be what's happening in us. If people look at your life or mine, what tree do they think we fell from? Or if they're looking at our life and say the chip off the old block, which block is it? Is it our first dad? Or is it our second dad? Are they talking about our spiritual lineage or our physical lineage? As I was thinking about this and and contemplating application, um, I want to be very careful what you hear and don't hear this morning. If I have a son, and I don't, but if I did, so that I don't use my daughters as examples, if I had a son and my son came up to me and he said, Dad, I want to be just like you when I grow up so that I'll know I'm your child, I'd say, you don't need to worry about that. You're my child, period. You're my child because you're from me. You can't do anything to make yourself not my child. You're mine. My DNA is in your bloods. It's in every cell of your body. You can't get away from being my child. It's a given. It's a fact. It's the way it is. And to some degree, son, as you grow up, physically you'll start taking on my characteristics too. And you know what? There's nothing you can do about it. I have an older brother who's quite a character. If you've met him, you'd know. And he pointed to his face. He's eight years my senior. You know, the age marks are starting to come on his face a little bit more and more. He pointed to his own face and he said to his tight-skinned, youthful young son, pointed to his own face and said, Inevitability. (laughs) Meaning, you're going to look like me. (laughs) Why? Because you're my son and you can't help it. So whatever you hear this morning... Hear this, when you're born again, when you trust in Jesus Christ, you get this new life. It's inevitability. You will look like, to more or less degree, your father, your heavenly father, because you can't help it. His DNA, testing or not, his DNA is in every spiritual cell of your being. It's there. You can't do anything about it. It's his. It's his in you. You're his child. It's a fact. It's a given. You can't do anything about it. You've been born again. You're going to grow up and you're going to look like him. So you need to hear that. Don't hear this. If I try harder, if I keep more rules, I'll look more like Jesus. Uh, Legalism always kills. And I want to be very careful. When when you go away this morning, don't think... I'm going to live a little better, look a little brighter. I'm going to measure up a little little more fully in my life, and and then I'll look like Christ. 
you'll, it'll kill you. It'll kill you. This is the thing. You have his DNA. You're his child. If you've believed in Christ, if you've trusted him, which John tells us to do, that's eternal life. You've been born again, John 3. You've got his life. So this is the work. It's to believe. He told us in chapter 6. You want to do God's work? Believe. You want to be Abraham's spiritual children? Believe. And then let that belief or faith have its natural outcome. If I want my son, see you, hon, to grow up to be like me, I know that he's going to look like me to some degree, and I know that he's my child, but if I want him to grow up to look like me, you know what I tell him? I just say, son, hang out with dad. You want to take on my characteristics? Hang out with me. See me in action. Talk to me. Listen to what I say. And you'll get more and more of who I am and what I'm like. And that will shape more and more who you are and what you're like. So a passage like this, don't go away and say, I've got to look more and more by doing more and more. I think you're barking up the wrong tree, the wrong apple tree. When you're born again, you've got his DNA. You're his child. You've got his life within you. That life cannot It can't sin. It couldn't sin if it wanted to. It doesn't want to. It's perfect because it's God's. The thing you do want to do, though, is this. It's the same thing that we talked about last week. Live in His Word. Drink in. Eat at the table of truth. Because your new nature has a place for God's Word. It is hungry and it's thirsty for God's Word. Live in His Word Instead of looking in the mirror to see yourself and your deficiencies, look in the mirror to see God's glory transforming you from the inside out. Or in your mind's eye, look up to behold Christ and the Father, not at yourself. If you're looking at Christ, if you're looking at the Father, you're aiming to become like them. You're not looking at yourself. People who focus on rules and laws, they're little people. They can't be otherwise because their focus rises not, no higher than themselves. If you want to grow up to be big and strong like big brother Jesus, look at him. Don't look at yourself. If you want to grow up to take on more and more the visage or the image of your spiritual second father, then look at him, not at yourself. Aim up. Don't look down. Look up. Look to Christ. Look at his image. Take in his truth. This is how you become, in the degree that you have control over, or something to say about, this is how you become more or less like that chip off the old block, or like that, tr- that apple that fell straight under the tree. That's how it's obvious who your father is to others, and maybe more to yourself too, as you look in that mirror year after year and behold God's glory more and more. It's not because you're keeping more rules. It's not because you're working harder. But it is because you're eating your spiritual Wheaties. It is because you're eating at the right table. You're taking in the truth. You're seeing reality in life around you. You're seeing things the way they really are. The truth is setting you free. Your image is Jesus and the Father, and you're growing up to become more and more like them. It's not rules keeping. Whatever you hear, don't hear that. Jesus looks at these guys and he says, it's obvious who your father is because of your life. 
but it's obvious because his word's not in them and it has no place. And it's obvious because their motive is to kill one who's speaking the truth. It's obvious because they deal in lies. If you want to see a picture in contrast, read the gospel stories about Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees. And remember as you do, the Pharisees are the accepted religious leaders of their day. When God speaks, it's through the Pharisees, so they believe. But you'll see the Pharisees, when they say to Jesus, why do you do this work on the Sabbath? It's, and Jesus says, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, and I'm the son of man, and, and, and I rule the Sabbath. And what do the Pharisees do on the Sabbath? They plot the murder of a man who spoke the truth. And what do they do at his trial? Satan deals in lies and murder. What do they do at his trial? They march forth liars, perjurers, to concoct a story so they can do what? Murder him. Being religious is not the point. Uh, Satan wears the garbs of religion as well as anyone. Better, probably. Because it's a great place to deal in lies. Enough of the truth so he can give you the lies. So, who's your daddy? And are you looking like him? You're going to, and you will. John does say this, too, in 1 John. He says, when he appears, we'll be like him. That is, when we're free from this flesh and blood body, when he appears and we are joined with him, we'll look just like him. Because all those parts of us that aren't recreated in his image, they'll be gone. And we'll be fully who we were meant to be. And we'll look just like big brother Jesus. We'll share his glory. There won't be any of the uh, fading glory, any of the corrupt nature that we bring or have with us now in the way. When we see him, we'll be like him. We'll see him as he is and we'll have become fully what God always intended us to be. So this week, ask yourself the question, who's my dad and am I looking like him? Or am I looking like him more and more? And remember, the issue is uh, not so much rules keeping. Don't go there, but ask yourself, when I look at God, am I becoming more and more like him? When I look at Christ, am I becoming more and more like him? Is this truth living in my soul? Am I becoming changed by his likeness within? Am I looking like my first dad? Or am I looking like my second dad? If I've had that rebirth, I want to look like my true nature, my new nature, that nature that I received from God, his very own, that one that cannot sin, cannot sin because it's God's life in me. Let's pray. Lord, just as truly as each one of us was born on this earth, we went through a birth process, so everyone who has believed in your Son has been, in Jesus' own words, born again. Not by flesh and blood, not by the will of man, Father, but by your doing and by your will, we're in Christ Jesus, who's become all to us that we need righteousness, sanctification, wisdom. Father, thanks that that new birth is from you, that it's your work in us, and that growing up spiritually is just the norm. Lord, help us to live in your word. I pray for each one of us that you would help us to have as our goal just that desire to every day be in your word, to take in the truth, to see who you are and what you're like and aspire, Lord, to greatness, to become the people 
the men and women in Christ you caused us to be born again to become. Lord, I pray that your Spirit's work in us is unhindered. Lord, help us to walk after your Spirit, hand in hand with you, looking up, becoming ever more fully, ever more clearly your children. Help us to look like we fell off that tree, Lord, that is you. Help us to be chips off the block that is you, Lord. Let our spiritual DNA be confirmed in our words, in our thoughts, in our motives, and in our actions. In Jesus' name, amen.